Glad to have you with us, all of you that are here in the sanctuary. It's wonderful to have you join us. Um, this morning when I prayed uh, to the Lord to give me guidance over prayer tonight, um, he laid something pretty heavy on my heart, and I've, I've learned to follow it. And so I would like to share it, if I can. We had such a glorious, glorious um, Sunday. Um, it was such a, a marvelous day and a marvelous experience. And it was um, just 8.30 on um, Monday morning when um, the next um, mass shooting took place. Um, and so here's why it was a little bit heavy on my heart. Here we are talking about disciples. We've been talking about disciples now for weeks. Um, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for um, six years. Um, the, the classroom space that I um, used to, to speak from, to talk from, at the university was just around the block. Um, last night, it drew me in to investigate a little bit more. I don't usually go and look at the news, but I did. And I uh, watched the video that was uh, on the officer's chest from the body cam on that day. I stood on those steps. Um, I've been in that building. Um, I was on the other side of the glass that was all over the, the, uh, uh, the ground. Um, on uh, a weekday, the space in front of that bank um, is where people go and eat their lunches. And um, so I, I don't want to get too deep into all of that. Um, you know, my, my best man is still in Louisville. Mo most of my wedding party is still in Louisville. Um, nobody was involved in that. But here's something that's really on my heart. Um, the job that I had for the most of the time that I was in Louisville, I was the director of a sports medicine center, and I was in charge of 53 high schools over the course of the city. I've been to Floyd Central, where the, that young man was. Um, he was well younger than when I was there, but here's the thing. As I read the story, there was a phrase that was spoken in the words of um, the reporter. It was a segment of a sentence. In the days before the event, he reached out for help. He told people that he was suicidal. He told people that he was thinking about hurting somebody. The Lord's given us a gift. The Lord has given us the opportunity to share the way to be free. The Lord has given us the opportunity to be in front of people, to share what he has for everybody. He asked for help. I, 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 there'll be conversations about gun control. There'll be conversations about how concussions cause people to do things. There'll be conversations maybe about what the parents um, did or didn't do. But the fact is, is that he reached out to somebody. We have answers. We have words. We, the only change, people are going to talk about all the things that need to change. The only change that is sustainable requires the Lord. The only change that is transformative is with the Lord. We are in the middle of the REACH campaign, so this is what's heavy on my heart, is that the same people are here. The same issues are here. We can reach out into the community. We can make that difference. We can be light for those just like that young man. I don't even know what his name is. doesn't matter. The fact is, is that we talk about... I don't want to go there. Fact of the matter is, is that I'd like you to pray with me there tonight. I'd like you to join me that we have and we need to share it. Almighty Father, Lord and King, we are so grateful, Father God, for your goodness, Lord. We are so honored, Lord God, to be gathered here, Lord God, in this space that's right here. You are the true and the righteous one. There is but one wise God, the one, Lord, who has given us, Lord God, words, Lord God, the one who has given us, Father God, hearts, Lord God, that want to be in unison with you, Lord. Almighty Father, there is one who is almighty. 
all that is, Father God, was created by you, Lord. All that is, Lord God, has emanated from you, Father God. And all that you give us, Lord God, everything that you've allowed us, Father, to experience from you is to draw us back to you, Lord God. We have gathered here this evening, Lord God, to honor you, Lord. We have gathered here this evening, Lord God, to worship you, Father. We are here, Father God, to hear the word, Lord God, to be communicated, Father God, by the conduit that you have supplied to us, Father. Oh, help us, Lord, in these trying times. There is chaos, Lord God, around us. There is, Father, so many, Lord God, who are uncertain about where they're going. So many, Father God, about what is, oh, able, Lord God, to be done in their hearts, what is able, Lord God, to be able, Father God, to make change take place, Lord God, in this world, Lord God. Oh, Father, you have called us, Lord, your hands and feet. You have called us, Father God, the light of the world, Lord God. You have pointed at us, Lord God, and said that we are the city upon the hill, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to shine for you, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to have the understandings that are necessary, Father. As we've gathered here today, Father God, to hold your name up high. We pray these things and we ask all, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, if you will, Lord God, guide us this evening, Lord God, that we can take your word, Lord God. We can take what will be shared from you, Father God, and apply it, Lord God, to be used out in the community, Father. You are righteousness, Lord, and you are holiness, Lord God. We ask that you guide the man of God who will deliver what you have for us to hear today. Pull away, Lord God, any of the things that are holding us back, Lord God, from, the, from us hearing, Lord God, what you have for us to hear, Lord God. Guide us this evening, Lord God. We ask, Lord God, these things, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, by the authority, Father God, that is in your scripture, Lord God, by the power, Father, found in the name of Jesus Christ, help us, Lord God, to reach out into our own community, Father, and make that difference that we can, Lord God, to disciple those that you send to us, Lord God, and be a blessing unto you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, let's bless the Lord Jesus. Keep clapping, yes. There is no other name, hallelujah. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. No other name I know. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Power in the name of Jesus. No other name I know. There's healing in the name of Jesus. Jesus, no other name I 
Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome to Wednesday night here at Christ Center Church. We are so glad to have all of you in-house and those of you who are online. And so we are grateful for everyone and we thank God for what he's doing in this hour. Brother Tom, I appreciate you sharing with us in your prayer tonight. Amen. You are 100% correct that we have the message that can help our world. And again, you are right about it. We'll talk about all the things that we will talk about that won't resolve any problems that we're trying to get resolved. So we talk about whether it's, you know, how do we stop gun violence and, you know, how do, you know, remember, I remember them saying we have to pass laws so people can't purchase certain kind of guns and all of this stuff. But as we all know by now, when someone wants to commit a crime, they're going to find a way to commit a crime. There's just nothing we can do about that. People are going to commit crimes when they want to. But the solution to people committing crimes is Jesus. If we can just get them to know who Jesus is, they won't want to commit crimes. And so Jesus is the answer. He is the solution. And so we must really push, put more effort into how can we share the message that we have. That's so important. The scripture says to seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I mentioned uh Last week sometime, and I mentioned last, last night again, and I, even mentioned, I mentioned it twice. On Tuesdays, we do our discipleship class from 730 uh, to about 815, and um, then we get on our leadership meeting at 830 and go from there. But my thought that I've been sharing is, let's not just look at our picture only. Can we look at the big picture? And if we will be honest with ourselves, it is so easy to just think about how you see things and what you want to get out of a situation. And we get so locked in about how this situation can work best for me. And that's all we see. And we're not looking at how it may negatively affect someone else. We just think about how it affects me in a good way. That's all I'm worried about. And when we seek the kingdom first, that's not the message. That, that changes the dynamic of how we see things. When we seek the kingdom first, we see the big picture. But if we seek the things that we want, our desires then we're seeing a small picture, a little small picture, and that's not good enough as children of God to just see this little small picture. We need to see the big picture. And the big picture is the kingdom of God and reaching the lost. That's the big picture. And so when we think about anything, we need to say, how does this impact a soul? Not, that, not how it benefits me, but how does it impact a soul. Years ago, when different kind of lifestyles were being introduced in our world, our mindset was, if it don't bother me and don't affect me, I don't care. And we have allowed so many things to just start up 
And now it has become so big that we can't do anything about it. And it's affecting us now. But years ago, like, hey, don't affect me. Don't bother me. I don't care. And that's how we lived our life. And now it's affecting us. Now it's bothering us. And guess what? There are laws now that support some of these lifestyles. There's nothing we can do about it. Because we started out saying, as long as it don't bother me. That's across the board in a lot of things. And so we don't want to just look at my picture only. We need to look at the big picture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we're still talking about making disciples. And uh, I believe this is our fifth lesson on making disciples. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19 the word of the Lord says, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Before I move to the next text, can we just look at that closely? Paul says, for though I be free from all men. Yet have I served, or yet have I made myself servant unto all that I may or might gain the more. What a paradox. Free from all men, yet the servant of all men. When you are truly free, you will look forward to serving others. If you have to serve yourself all the time, you're not really free. Because when you're free, you realize the text that says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, then all of your needs, God will take care of. So when you decide that you have to focus so much on taking care of your own needs, you can't be too free. Verse 20 says, and unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. It's clear Paul was a big picture guy, wasn't he? Big picture. Was never just looking at his picture. He was looking at the big picture. When Paul said he became all things to all men that he may gain some, he didn't mean that he became a chameleon, that he compromised. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is I adapted the approach as I met different culture groups. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well, he had to speak to her in a way that she would understand because he knew her culture. So Paul is not compromising the gospel. He's not compromising who he is as a man of God. But what he is doing is finding a bridge. He's trying to bridge relationships, not build walls. And so whatever he can pick up from a different culture group to start a conversation is the way that he started it. Jesus did it. So we know we're, it, it's right that we, we figure out how to start conversation by being able to relate to the culture group that you're speaking to. And if we can understand that, 
then we will have an, an open door or an opportunity to begin to befriend someone to share the gospel with them. You may be seated. Our subtitle tonight for making disciples is this, making disciples versus soul winning, making disciples versus soul winning. We've heard the term soul winning in church. It's one of the, the, the jargon or methods that get talked about or we still talk about it in, in the church. Can I start out by saying this? Disciple making is relationship making. Meaning befriending someone and instructing them in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us can make friends. And if we are living for the Lord, we can certainly show our friends how to do what we are doing. So, if you have a friend, just one friend, and that can be a family member, I don't care who it is. But if you have one friend, you are qualified to make a disciple. Because how did you become friends with that person? So if you have one friend, you're qualified to be a disciple maker because just like you were able to, to establish a friendship with that individual, you can establish a friendship with somebody else that's not saved. And when you establish that friendship with somebody that's not saved, then you can begin to share with them the life of Christ that you are living. So, Making disciples, everyone can do it. Soul winning might not be the same case. Watch it. We fully understand and agree with Paul that by whatever means necessary, we must reach everyone we can with the saving message of Jesus Christ. I would suggest, however... That when church leaders speak about soul winning, 90% of the congregation checks out for one of four reasons. So I know that to be true because all my Christian life, even before I got saved, I got witnesses that will tell you that. Even before I got saved, I was witnessing the people. So all my church life, I've been a witness for Christ. And so, I've always talked about witnessing for Christ. I heard someone said in my old church that when they hear me preach, I'm going to preach about faith, I'm going to preach about soul winning, I'm going to preach about one God, and I'm going to preach about salvation. They said, you can bank on those four things, he's going to preach about it. I never thought about it, but I think they were right. But... I've seen over the years as I teach about reaching the loss that people check out. And the reason why people check out is because for so long, those of us that are teaching about reaching the loss, we talk about soul winning and that make people feel uncomfortable because they have a perception of what they think soul winning is. And so one of the perception that they that they that they have or how they begin to believe when they hear soul winning is I don't do that. That's just not me. They don't relate to it because they don't understand how it all should work. For some, they feel like Soul winning doesn't fit my personality or my gifting. <laughs> they believe that only a few highly gifted people are called by God to reach the lost. 
And so when you talk about soul winning or sharing the gospel, reaching people, people begin to check out because they're saying, man, you need to know the scriptures. You need to be bold. You need to be able to talk to anybody. You need, you need to just not be fearful and can just go up to people and talk. You need to know how to speak properly. And all these things come in our minds to make us think we cannot reach somebody with the gospel because it's just a whole lot to it. And so when preachers talk about soul winning, a lot of times people check out and says, yeah, I hear them. That's not for me. I'm trying to get to heaven. <laughs> Most people are, that's all they're thinking about. I'm just trying to get to heaven. And you're telling me about soul winning? But if you know like I know, reaching the loss is a more beneficial way or a better way to reach heaven than if you just try to live your best life to reach heaven. All right. Uh-huh. There has been soul winning presentation attempt to, to gourd people, good people, into doing something beyond their perceived gifting, skill, or personality. This is unfortunate because the problem is not with the congregation, but rather with the limited paradigm of reaching the world that has been presenting. And so for many people that's been in church for a while, you hear, well, we're going to do a block party. Well, we're going to go door knocking. Well, we're going to go preach on the sidewalk. Well, we're going to uh, set up on a corner and, and just hand out tracts. And, and we come up with these methods. And so people hear these things and they say, well, that's just not me. And so for many years, many people sit on the pew and they never, ever disciple anybody because they have the wrong idea of what that recall, what that's supposed to look like in reaching somebody with the gospel. So there's a lot of people that have never done it, never seen a person that are, that is unsaved and they got into their life and they became saved, and now they became a disciple of Christ. Many of us have not yet experienced that in us being a significant part of that because we have a, our own ideology or perception of what it looks like to help somebody be saved. But we have to change that paradigm. Reaching the world with the gospel of Christ is the mission of the church. But the biblical prescribed method to accomplish this commission of Jesus Christ is not to win souls, but to make disciples. I know that we come up with our own language sometimes and, you know, the, 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 the language that's, uh, that, that's predominant in the church. And so soul winning, that, that word soul winning is, is a big predominant language in the church. And so we say it, but I want you to pay attention to that moving forward because soul winning is not what Jesus' method is to reach the lost world. Nope, not soul winning. If soul winning is like a microwave, then disciple making is like a crock pot. That make a lot of sense to me. Because long time ago, crock pots was popular. Maybe that's why we had great strong saints back then. Because they were discipled. Crock pot style. And today, we're winning souls, microwave style, but people are not staying. <laughs> this is why Jesus told us to go make disciples because he knew soul winning wouldn't last he knew it would only be for a moment so he didn't tell us to go win souls he told us to go make disciples think about it after you win a soul then what? When you win, it's over. But when you make disciples, the process is ongoing. <laughs> Regardless of the theological implication, you can see the difference that terminology makes when communicating the mission 
of the church. Jesus did not tell us to win anything, but rather to go make everything. He didn't tell us to go win anything. He says go make everything. Winning communicates a short, measurable sequence of time after which there is no more obligation. Let me say that again. Winning communicates a short, measurable sequence of time after which there is no more obligation. But making communicates a skillful, labor-intensive, open-ended season of personal investment and oversight. This is why we have negated making disciples because it requires more of you. Soul winning don't require a whole lot of you. But in the long run, being a soul winner, quote-unquote, will not be effective and your loved ones and my loved ones and the people we meet, they won't last. Because sometimes we don't realize we just bec- we are good talkers. And we talk people into getting baptized. We talk people into going to church. We talk people into reading their Bibles. We talk people into so many things, but it was never really in their heart. We talk them into it. And just like how we talk them into it, somebody else can talk them out of it. But when they get their own experience through the process of making disciples, when they become a disciple of Christ and have their own experience, nobody can talk them out of it. We don't want to talk people into getting saved. We want to talk them into knowing who Jesus is and showing them who he is and be an example of who he is and instruct them into who he is. When a local congregation has a soul-winning mentality, watch this, their retention rate will be predictably low. But when they possess a disciple-making vision, their retention rate will be significantly higher. Watch this. You ready for this? Statistics have proven this. The typical retention rate of soul-winning strategies is about 15%. So if you win 100 people to the Lord in one year, only 15 of them stand. Okay. However, the typical disciple making retention rate is about 71%. If you reach 100 people for the year, then 71 of those people will stay and you will lose 29 of them. The Lord Jesus' disciple making retention rate was 91%, but we're not Jesus, so it's okay. I would like 91% too. But we have to look at that 71% number and say for the people that comes to our church and they repent of their sins and they get baptized in Jesus' name, God filled them with his spirit and they're coming and they're living for God, we ought to ask ourselves, after a year or two or three, are they still here? Because if they're not here, maybe we never made disciples of them. Maybe we were just soul winners. Jesus did not tell us to go win souls. He certainly could have told us to go win souls, but in soul winning, what really, what, 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 but in, in soul winning, what he really meant when he said go make disciples. Can't be. When he said go make disciples, he didn't mix, mix words. He, he wasn't uncertain. He wasn't making a mistake. When he says go make disciples, that's what he meant. He didn't mean go win souls. There are reasons why Jesus said go make disciples and not go win souls. Consider the origin of the idea of soul winning. I don't know if you know the the origin of it. Some of you know because you're good Bible scholars. But in Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 30, 
The scripture says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. First, this text is situated in the Old Testament. Second, notice the context of this verse. Does the context involve leading someone to God or to salvation? Most likely not. The most we can deduce from this context is that it takes wisdom to make friends. <laughs> but you can't deduce that disciple making was a part of that process. Making disciples is not just about what happens after a sinner is saved. Mm -mm. But it accurately describes the journey from the first contact with an undisciplined person or undiscipled person to the last step in heaven with Jesus Christ and the church. And so disciple making is an ongoing process that never ends. But can I tell you this? Just like making disciples, the retention rate is 71%. And soul winning, the retention rate is 15%. You ready for this? I believe it's the same thing going to heaven for us. I believe if we are Christians and we're living for God, but we focus on soul winning, our chances of getting into heaven might just be 15%. But if we are Christians living for God and we make disciples, we have a strong chance of getting to heaven. Now, I don't want you to go around telling people about the percentage in that in heaven. I'm not saying that. So don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell people my pastor talking about, you know, this and this and that. I'm just showing you a principle that I believe the surest way to get to heaven is by constantly engaging in making disciples. I believe that's the surest way to get to heaven. There are other ways that you can get to heaven, but I believe that you want to be sure you get there, get involved in making disciples. Because when your life is consists of, I need to help somebody today just to get a little bit deeper in God. I need to help somebody today just to understand a little bit more about God. Somebody's going to ask me a question that their, their whole life is hinged on me giving them the right answer. So I got to study my Bible. I got to pray and say, God, give me understanding and revelation. So whoever comes to me today that I'm involved in their life, I can give them the answer. And if you're living your life like that, you're in the word. You don't have a choice but to be connected to the Lord. And you will find yourself living a more productive, effective Christian life than if all we want to do is, oh, okay, I'll just give somebody, don't get offended by this, I'll just give somebody a business card from the church. We want to give them a business card from the church because we want them to come to church. But we have to realize it doesn't stop there. We have to realize when they come in this door, it's an opportunity to engage in a relationship with someone. It's an opportunity. This is why I say it all the time, that when we have guests that come in, all of us should try to get an opportunity to shake their hand and say, hello, my name is so-and-so, so glad you came to be with us today. I, 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 if there's something that I can do, please just let us know. And if 10 of us do it to every one of our guests, they will feel some kind of way connected to one of the 10. I don't know which one of the 10, but they will feel connected to one of you that shook their hand and said, welcome to Christ Center Church. We're glad you came. They will be connected to one of you. And you have to know if they connect with you. And before you know it, you're making a friendship with them. 
You're, 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 you're making a relationship. You're building a relationship with them because the goal is to help them to know who Jesus is. And the goal is to help them get saved. And you don't realize this, that person that you're, you're helping to get saved, you don't know what their family status is. If they have a big family or, or, or a small family, you don't know who is connected to them, that if they get saved, who else can get saved? So it's important that we understand the relationship is the start of helping somebody to know Jesus. It's the start of discipleship, and it will continue forever. But who don't want people, who don't want to have friends that are Christians, that, that live for God, and, and that's your friend? Because I told you this before, and I'll continue to say it. The person you disciple and you help to know Christ, you've got a friend for life. For life, even when you have disagreements, they will never abandon you. But when you win a soul, when they're not feeling you, that's it. Because <laughs> they weren't discipled. They went through some ritual in their mind, and they never really got to know Jesus. And you have what it takes to help someone to know Jesus. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And so Jesus did not compartmentalize new birth and spiritual maturity. He placed it all under one grand vision, and that's making disciples. For many churches, you invite somebody to church, the Spirit of the Lord move, hopefully the minister preached so they can understand salvation. And they said, I want to get baptized today. And they come, I want to get baptized. And we walk them over to the baptism tank and we baptize them in Jesus' name. And we shout, "Woo! I want a soul today. That's the that's traditional Pentecostal church. That's, that's, yeah, I, that's my soul. I remember people arguing about that back in the day. You remember that, Brother Kellerman? That's my soul. I brought them to church and they got baptized. That's my soul. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then before you know it, those people are not around anymore. What happened to your soul? <laughs> because we're looking at it the wrong way. We're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to befriend people, get into their life and lead them and teach them and instruct them. Give them encouraging words and let them know what, what, what's good and, and, and what to stay away from and, and, and what they need to do. Discipleship, discipleship. As oneness Pentecostals, we believe that the first century brand of Christianity is who we are, Right? Those first century Christians, they experienced the full gospel of Jesus Christ by repenting of their sins, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues. Jesus didn't tell us to procure a building and hang a sign out front that says, y'all come on in. No, no, no. I don't think we can say we have fulfilled the Great Commission by simply having visitors show up. We have an obligation after they leave to follow up and make disciples. <laughs> My goddaughter, we were talking the other day. And um, she liked to talk about, for years, how she just want to marry an usher. I just want me a good usher. I don't want no preacher. I don't want nobody too heavy in the church. I just want them to be a good usher. That way we can still enjoy each other. We can do what we like to do, which is travel and enjoy things. I just want me a good usher. 
the young man that she's getting ready to marry, his mother said the same thing. I don't want no pastor. I just want me a faithful man of God. Well, when she married her husband, he wasn't a pastor. He was a faithful man of God. But then he became a pastor. So that's what she had. And so I was teasing my goddaughter the other day, and I said, I know you said you wanted a faithful usher. But your mother-in-law to be, your mother-in-law to be, she didn't want a preacher. But she got one. And so I started to tease her, and she said, well, you know what's my ministry, and I really like that ministry? <laughs> I laughed. I just, I love these conversations because I just watch how people don't know things, and they don't know what they don't know, and they'll experience it when their time comes. And I watched, and I smiled. She said, you know what's my favorite thing to do? I said, what, baby? Retention. She said, I'm going to be the one to make sure I keep people from leaving because I'm going to always meet with them, sit down with them and have lunch and talk to them and help them to know and figure out their way in church. I just smiled and said, boy, that sounds like the right thing because that's disciple making because you'll find yourself making disciples. You might not have started out with them, but when you start to sit with them and realize where they are, you're drawn to them, and now it's time now to roll up your sleeves and start to help them to find their way and teach them the right way. And so I'm laughing in my mind because she thinks that retention is just some side job. <laughs> Poor little thing. I hope she's not watching this one. Well, either she's watching it, she already knows, because you know me, I, gotta, I just got to tell you. And so I just kind of gave her the smirk and she knew what it was when she said, I just want to be in a retention ministry where I can take somebody out and just kind of help them to find their way. I said, boy, that sounds good to me, but that sounds like a first lady. <laughs> she looked at me with her evil eye. I said, I'm just, I'm sorry. And I'm not, I'm not putting it on nobody, but it's important that we understand that God called us to make disciples, and that requires relationship. The church has to become comfortable with, with, with when, when, when we come to this place. If we want a fellowship as members, we have to wait till we work serving our guests. We come to this building on Sundays to serve our guests. And we have to forget about ourselves we need to make sure that we all understand that. We can catch up at some point in fellowship. We will get together at some point in fellowship. And usually, if we stay long enough, we'll find ourselves here fellowshipping. But we, we, we got to know that our responsibility is to make sure we're worshipers, is to make sure we can assist with praying for someone, but also to do some work to make sure we befriend someone, set them up for discipleship, to make sure we are making disciples. If we do that, we will fix a whole lot of problems by first getting someone to know Jesus and be on their way to heaven, but also back to what we started out this evening talking about, all the crimes that's around. We want to believe it will never come our way. We, we, we want to believe that all of these mass shootings and all that's going on, it will never happen to us until it happened to us. But if we will be intentional in making disciples, not winning souls, in making disciples, then we have a little bit of a chance to say it might not happen here because we will be reaching our young, our old, our middle aged, to sharing the gospel and helping them to know who Jesus is. Making disciples. If we create that kind of culture in our church, we're going to see such great moves of God like we've never seen. I close with this. In John chapter 15, verse 16, we've share, shared the scripture before, but it will be a scripture that comes up from time to time. In John 15 and 16, the scripture says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Okay? Why are you choosing me, God? I didn't ask to be chosen. Why are you choosing me, God? I, 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 I continue to tell my children, and I hope you tell your children this. God chose me, and because God chose me, God chose you. 
Just like how you had no control who you were born to, you don't have control in God choosing you. So we want to think that we have control over it. You had no control how you got here. Who have control how they got here? <laughs> you don't know how you got here. You were just born. And eventually you get a little bit of sense and you realize who's your mother and who's your father, if you ever find that out sometimes. But you don't know how you got here. And so, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? We don't know how we got here, but we insist on doing what we think we have to do. But you didn't know how you got here. It seems, it's a reason why the scripture says that when you don't know Jesus, you walk in the dark. You're in darkness. Because to me, because I'm in the light, I would think it make all the sense in the world, Sister Scarlett, that I want to find out who is responsible for me being here. Because if they that good to produce me, I need to know what else they know. Common sense. To me, that's common sense. But a lot of people don't see that as common sense. But when you're in the light, that's common sense. If you that good to produce me, I'm born, I'm a baby, don't understand anything, you got to carry me, pick me up, all this stuff, and I grow, and I start getting some intellect and some understanding, and starting to get my own understanding in who I am, and what I like, and what I don't like, I need to know who can do that, who is responsible for that, and when I find out who that person is, I need to talk to them, and it's interesting because as you get older, you start inquiring about your family. I don't know if you notice that when you get older, we need to get together more. When you're young, man, ain't nobody talking about that. When you're young in a family, you just ripping and running. The young kids, watch them, depending on what age your kids are. When they start to get to the age where they start driving, Thanksgiving, they hit this house, they hit that house, they hit that house. That's how they rolling. They getting grown up. And so they running. So don't tell them about, uh, you know, you need to just, you know, slow it down. And you, no, don't tell them that. They're just trying to. But then you start getting older. You start having kids. And now you're starting to want to know. Well, tell me about grandma. Well, tell me about this one. And tell me about that one. When my father passed away and I went to bury him uh, a couple years ago. Uh, we were doing the picture slide. The picture slide and, you know, all the picture with us and him and all this stuff and the picture slide going around. And then a picture come across from way back in the day. My dad got on his bell bottoms, looking sharp, and got his shirt buttoned down to almost his navel. My oldest say, oh, that's where I got that from. Because when you get older and you have these habits of yours and these, these personalities of yours, you want to know, where does that come from? When you were ripping and running, you don't care. Where did that come from? But the bottom line is, we didn't choose to be born. God orchestrated our birth. And then when we were born, he didn't just leave us. Oof, this is good. He didn't just leave us to just be on our own. He took care of us. This is the natural. He made sure we developed. He made sure we had an intellect. He made sure that we would just grow. That was all him. He got us here. He got us to get developed. And then he chose us to make disciples. He says, you have not chosen me. But I have chosen you, and it didn't stop there, and ordained you, that you should go. We can't sit around in church. Sitting around in church means you're not going. He says, and ordain you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to make disciples, 
we're going to have to get up off our tushies. It can't just be, I go to church. Oh, yeah, I got, I got a church. I go to church. People like to say, I go to church. No. God said, I chose you and I ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And the only way the fruit going to remain is if you were discipling those people that you went and brought. If you go out there and bring them in and you don't disciple them, you're going to get frustrated. You might even lose a little bit of faith because it's not working. And in your mind, I did what the scripture said. I went and I got people to come to church and they got baptized and, and, and guess what? But, but they never stay. Did they get discipled? Because if they don't get discipled, they won't remain. Because the devil knows how to snatch people that doesn't get discipled. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. So the caveat in scripture that we read and people have heard over and over where Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, was always connected to going and make disciples. So everybody wanted to just pray ridiculous prayers and think the Lord is going to answer it. And the Lord will answer prayers according to his will. And you know what his will is? For all of mankind to be saved. There is not one person that is born that walks this earth that it wasn't the intent of the Lord Jesus Christ for them to be saved. That's why he went to Calvary. So every person that was ever born would have the opportunity to be saved, to become a disciple of Christ. So if you engage in that kind of lifestyle, then God will see to it that whatever you ask of him, he will do it. Because you're not asking ridiculous prayers. You're asking usually for things to help that disciple that you're making to help them become what they need to be. And that's what you're praying to God about. And the thing that I've learned about God and I hope you learn about God, he is true to his word. He says, seek ye first the kingdom, make disciples, and all these things shall be added unto you. I cannot say that enough to young people and everyone. That you don't have to pray for stuff when you start making disciples. You don't have to pray for finances. You don't have to pray for a big house. You don't have to pray for a nice car. You don't have to pray for a lot of things. As a matter of fact, I can take it as far as you don't even have to pray for healing. Because you're on his mission. What? He's going to have you reach somebody, you're making a disciple, and now you're sick and laid up and you can't make a disciple? So if you really engage in making disciples, you won't have to pray about a lot of things. Because you will just be taken care of because you're doing the most essential thing that God wants you to do. It's time to make disciples, church. We won't get off of this until we start doing it. We had six people to get baptized in the past four weeks. We have to disciple them. We cannot just say, oh, you know, they should be. It's, it's, they're not going to become a disciple just by being baptized in Jesus' name. There's not a switch that God is going to turn now that they got baptized. God just turned the switch and all of a sudden now they become a disciple. No, no, no. We're going to have to put the effort in to make disciples of those people who got baptized. And every one of us can do it. It's just a matter of did you connect with them or you didn't. We don't have to force it. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to tell the pastor what you're doing. Pastor don't need to know you're making a disciple. Just go make disciple. God will confirm his word with signs following when you're making disciples. If you need my input, sure, I'm going to help you with the input. Sure, I'm going to tell you what I think and help you according to the word of God. But I'm just telling you it's just that essential that we just need to get going to making disciples. And God will show us the increase and we will know. we're. There's nothing better than knowing you're doing God's will. 
There's nothing better than that. I can, I can run and not be doing God's will. I can pray and not be doing God's will. Because some of us just pray selfish prayers. But when I engage in intentionally helping someone to be like Christ, I know I'm doing his will. Let us stand. Go make disciples. Soul winning and making disciples are two different things. You're going to hear people say, yeah, I got to win a soul. And that don't mean you just jump and correct them. It just means you know there's more to making disciples than winning a soul. When you, you can win a soul, but it doesn't stop there. So if you want to use it for that sense to say I'm winning a soul, you can win a soul, but it doesn't stop at winning a soul. You have to take it to making disciples. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the gathering of the body of Christ. Lord, let the words that have been spoken into the hearing of the people of God tonight, let it go into their hearts, let it take root, let it grow and produce good fruit. Father, we want to truly do your will. We just don't want to be deceived in any way in thinking that we're living a life that's pleasing unto you when we're not. Lord, we want to truly do your will. We want to see souls saved. God, I've been praying and saying, I want to see a great revival in the Northeast like we've never seen. And I believe, Lord, it is your will to give us a great revival in the Northeast. But, Lord, we all must become serious about it. We all must become intentional about it. And, Lord, we will see it if we become intentional. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will stir the hearts of your people in this church and in all of our churches, Lord God, across the north central Jersey and in the northeast corridor. If you will just move on our hearts and stir us, Lord God, that we will engage in making disciples. That we will engage in, oh God, making friends and discipling them and leading them to salvation, Lord. Oh God, I want that burden. I want that passion in me. Oh that people will begin to pray and say, God, I want that burden of reaching the lost and making disciples. I want that passion of making disciples for Christ. Lord, help us that we will not be intimidated. Help us, Almighty God, that we will not give place to the enemy, but that we will go forward in confidence in the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, to know, Lord, we can do what you have commanded us to do, that we will not back down, that we will not allow anything to... Cause us, Lord God, to not do what you've commanded us to do, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Use us, Lord. We've been praying, Lord, saying, give us children lest we die. We've been praying, Lord, to say we want to see people be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And God, you're doing your part. Help us to do our part. Help us to do what we must do that the will of God could be fulfilled here in this community and the surrounding area. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord, to fulfill your purpose, to do your will, Almighty God. I pray that when we leave here tonight, the message will still reverberate in our heart and move in our spirit. That, Lord, when we wake up tomorrow, it will be still on our heart and we will seek to befriend somebody, knowing Lord, that we're befriending them uh, to make disciples uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gathering of the body of Christ. Uh, and we thank you for this church, Lord. Uh, as we go to our respective place of dwelling, uh, we pray your will be done. And we pray, Lord God, that you'll keep us until we come back together again. Uh, we thank you and praise you, Lord, uh, for all these things uh, we ask you uh, in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Can we all say amen? Give the Lord a great big hand, hand clap of praise. Give to the building fund on your way out. Thank you for your time. God bless you.